0: Don't worry about the master plan because you're going to drive yourself crazy and you'll burn out. You'll never get to your destination if you're that stressed out.
1: Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and I hope you guys are all doing well. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's Gen Xers working together. We do that so well. Thank you very much. Although the, I was thinking about this the other day. You know who else could listen to this podcast and maybe get something out of it? 30 year olds, because I think the part of the interviews where people talk about what they wish they could go back in time and tell their younger selves is so interesting and encouraging. And maybe if I'd known those kinds of things when I was in my 30s or had heard them from somebody, I would have been less overwrought some of the time in my 30s. So, just an idea. I wonder what you guys think. I am having a really good week this week because my college daughter came home. She finished up her freshman year and she got home last Thursday night. And she'll be home for a month before she heads back over to the East Coast to work as a summer counselor. But she's home right now, and yesterday I was working in my home office, and this is the text I got from the kitchen. Cookie dough is ready if you want a spoonful. I mean, how nice is that? That text canceled out two days of labor, and at least one elementary school recorder concert right there. We're even on that stuff, so I'm very happy she's here. I'm also super excited about today's guest, Tim Goodman, the chief television critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and, as you're about to hear, the envy of every Elvis Costello fan. So let's get to it. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on. Well, thanks for having me.
0: Happy to be here.
1: I've been a fan of your writing since since you were writing for the San Francisco Chronicle as the TV critic. You started in that role, I think, right after I moved here. One of the things that I loved that you wrote was the Television Critics Association Press Year coverage that you did every year. Now, do you want to tell everyone what you called that?
0: Yeah, that story is is, uh, that story is very funny because it goes back uh, for ages. I've been calling it the Death March with Cocktails, and so that's. That gets linked to me and has now been forever sort of immortalized through the years as uh, as mine, even though it was something that I heard when I first started my very first year. Uh, there were still a couple of old guys uh, on the tour, and now I guess I'm the old guy. But uh, back then, um, they were talking about the death march with cocktails, and I was like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. Who, who said that? And no one could remember who said it. And I was attributing it to somebody... For like a year when I first started, and they're like, "I never said that. That's yours." <laughs> so, no one
1: wanted to take credit.
0: It's land. It's landed with me and been immortalized throughout the years. So I've 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 absorbed it.
1: Well, what I loved about it is the thought of the job of a TV critic. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it as being so arduous. And then I would read these columns you did about what it was like. You guys. I mean, you're just going on these junkets, right? And you're meeting the cast of these shows and really long days. And I just thought, my God, the physical demands of being a TV critic are they must be crazy
0: <laughs> well it's you know i always say that like the one thing that I, it that seems like such a sin in this job is to complain about it because uh, you know i'm watching television for a living i'm not actually breaking rocks i actually you know a very starched white collar as far as a blue collar I, I i've got it pretty easy so it's hard to complain and my friends are the ones to keep me in check because i'll say oh man i'm so burnt out i've got to like Just take some time off and they're like, I know you should just really like sit down on the couch and like watch TV. (laughs) But I will say that, yeah, those things are kind of a grind because they they are weirdly, even though you're having fun and you're working and you definitely work the parties for background information, that thing's a grind because it's... You know, when I first started it was up to 22 days and then it all got back down to about 15 or 16 and now because there's so many other content providers now in the in this you know platinum age of TV that it's back up to like in the summer it's back up to about 22 nights, 19 to 20 21 nights and uh, yeah, that's a lot.
1: But you and I actually met in a very serendipitous way where you meet all good people. We passed at the hair salon. We share uh, <laughs> the best stylist and I'm not going to give out her name because it's hard enough to get a appointment with her at this point. Okay, Dana Nelson at Green Twig Salon. But... I always remembered Tim because I was sitting in the chair and there was music coming over the green twig sound system. And I said, who is this? I think you had just come in to get your haircut and you said it's Rilo Kylie. And it turns out that was Jenny Lewis's band. This was probably 10, I don't know how many years ago this was, but I know it was because of you that I went and listened to some Rilo Kylie. And now Jenny Lewis is one of my absolute favorite performers. I'm going to see her on June 2nd playing at the Greek. Are you going to that show?
0: I'm not because I'm going June 3rd to the Greek to see Elvis Costello.
1: Okay. All right. That's a good one too. But oh, I, yeah, she's I will always. fantastic. Yeah. She's, she's an amazing live show. And one of the things I love most about her is that my 19 year old daughter loves Jenny Lewis. So it's one of the shows that we go to together and we just stand next to each other and go, Oh my God, don't you love her? I love her. So it's nice when you can share that kind of thing with your kids. And speaking of concerts, we always start off here at the Midlife Mixtape Podcast with one important question. <laughs> I sometimes ask first concert, but I have a feeling, because I know your musical taste, I bet you have a memorable one you want to share with us.
0: <clears throat> the memorable concert for me, and there was, lots too certain, I was a lot to choose from, because I was a music critic for a number of years, and so I've been to hundreds and hundreds of concerts, and they kind of all blur after a while, but <clears throat> the one that doesn't blur <laughs> is... Uh, uh, Elvis Costello is my musical hero and he's everything he does is I'm just he's the one when I back in when I was a kid I just really found out about how how smart music can be how angry and powerful and all the stuff he just spoke to me through those speakers when I was younger and I really loved it and um, so I've seen him so many times I I can't even keep track probably 60 plus times but Um, You know, I had made it when I was a music critic, I had made it a point that I didn't want to I didn't want to interview him. I had many opportunities to interview him. And and they're like, well, why not? He's like your hero. I'm like, yeah, but half an hour or 45 minutes, if you're lucky, is never going to be enough time. I need like a documentary film crew and I need like eight hours to To
1: just follow you and Elvis around talking.
0: Exactly. So I've never I never wanted to meet him uh, Mm -hmm. as far as that goes. Um, and did turn down a number of times uh, opportunities to interview him when I was when I was working. But it turns out there was one night when they uh, I got a call from his record label and said, "Okay, here's here's what's going to happen. He's he's going to do like a little meet and greet with a select number of people in San Francisco. And do you want to go to that? And it was at Bimbo's three sixty five club. Mm-hmm. And I, during Big the club. day, like yeah, like, like I could just go down there from the Chronicle or um, just meet him." And so I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I did it. It was a little bit awkward, but it was fun. You know, I kind of I, I resisted grabbing him and saying, let me talk to you for nine hours. Good self-control,
1: um, Tim. Exactly,
0: exactly. And, but the, the day was like a trifecta. So, the, so that was the meet and greet. And later in the day, he was playing with Steve Naive, uh, just the two of them. They put an album out. They put like a packaged concert, live concert album out of the two of them playing these different cities, like five different cities. San Francisco was one of them at the Fillmore. Uh, and so I went to the Fillmore and saw, uh, you know, basically solo, solo, and with Steve Nieve. So it was a perfect, very intimate at uh, Fillmore, right? And he played for—I want to say—he played for about two hours, two and a half hours, I think, and including on the course, The the catch to that day was like it's a three parter, so that was the main concert. You've already had
1: a great day with parts one and two, so I I can't imagine what number three is going to be.
0: I know. And I was just, I remember that concert at the Film morphs so vividly because every song selection was, you know, I knew it, loved it. Totally just, it was a really magnificent day and night. Uh, But the record company had said, do you also want to see him at an after show concert in Mill Valley? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And so it was at Sweetwater. And I don't know if you've been to Sweetwater.
1: I haven't been yet.
0: There's a new one. It's lovely. Oh, this was Uh, the old one. The old one seated 49 people. Oh, my God. That's it. And you, you know, that was very historic. Everybody had played in there, but literally 49 people. And it was basically a bar, a small little front dining, front area, uh, and a stage. And um, they wouldn't let you in. Between songs, because as soon as you open the door, you're basically walking into someone's living room where Elvis Costello would be playing, and he would just yeah. like stop and look at you. So no one got to come in during that time. So got a corner, little front right by the window there in Mill Valley. Got a little corner seat. And he came out, he played another two hours and <laughs> ten minutes, I think, and he repeated like four four songs oh from the God. previous, from the previous concert that night at the Fillmore. So you're looking at four plus hours of Elvis Costello live. Uh, the second one, I was maybe five to nine feet from him and he didn't, re- he repeated like four songs. And as I pointed out back then, the four or five songs that he did repeat were differently orchestrated than the ones he had done previously at the Fillmore. So it was, it was magnificent. I'm not going to forget a that. day.
1: hmm So With your background as a music and television critic, you're actually the perfect person to either validate this theory that I have or tell me that I'm full of shit. So I'm (laughs) curious to hear which way you're going to go. But I think the Gen X is the last generation that will strongly identify with a shared experience of music and TV. And I'm thinking about stuff like we all ran home from school to see the thriller video when it came on and that who shot Jr." episode that we talked about for a whole summer. And as you mentioned, you know, with the death march with cocktails, everything, the entertainment realm is so fragmented. Now there's so many choices. There's so many content providers. What, becomes the generational signifier. It, it seems to me like everybody can be in their own silo. So where whereas you can say, Laverne and Shirley, to somebody around our age, and we all know what you're talking about, and we all have sort of the same feeling about it, you know, I I don't know if that's going to be true going forward. Am I, am I right or am I not right?
0: I think you probably are right. Um, there's probably, uh, I would say there's probably going to be some variation on that, because I think that certain certain shows are cross-generational. And, you know, like you if, you, if you talk to people now about Twin Peaks, like that that group, that was 26 years ago. And the, that group that will actually watch that on broadcast television, that's looking forward to seeing it, you know, later this month on, uh, on Showtime or whenever it's going to pop up, that group has nothing in common with other people who are kind of interested in seeing it because they feel like it's a cultural thing. The expectations are going to be wildly different. But at the same time, so you have that instance, but at the same time, Plenty of adults uh, watch Stranger Things on Netflix with their kids, and that that and everybody seemed to love it. And that's kind of a thing that you can look back on. I think there's movies and some television shows that people will bond with, but music is a little bit harder. I think music is uh, something that everybody. Well, it's so personal. It's the, to me, it's the most personal uh, art form out there because it, it, it. I've always I always say to people like. I could, you you could tell me, Nancy, what your favorite TV show is or your favorite movie. And I could tell you to your face that it sucks, that it's terrible. And I could tell you why it's terrible. And you might like initially be taking it back, but you're not going to want to kill me. You're going to say, okay, whatever, (laughs) that's fine. If you tell me your favorite band or your favorite song or your artist and all the things. And I said, they're terrible. That's fighting words. You're going to really be viscerally upset at me.
1: I would give you a beat down if you said a word against Neil Finn. I'm telling you right now, don't I'm a huge Neil
0: Neil Finn fan. So that yeah. that would never happen. It's that because never
1: happen. everybody's a huge Neil Finn fan. He <laughs> is the one thing on which all can agree. <laughs> I was thinking about the Beyond the Lemonade album mm-hmm. this year from Beyonce, right. and i I'm like, okay, wait a minute. My kids and everybody else's kids know where they were when that album dropped. So I do think mm-hmm. some artists are figuring out a way to pull that back. Together and to make it a cultural moment, even in in light of the fragmentation.
0: Yeah, and I I I, th- I do think that's true. I think music's just harder. Television is getting into the point where books and you know books books and music share a similarity now or have for ages in that there's so much of it, um, and you come to different books and different albums and artists at different times in your life, and they have more meaning when when you when you finally find them. They're they're less time and date specific in importance like movies and, and television might be um, because you can discover a great book no matter how old you are. And and same with music. What I found with music, because it's so important to me and my kids, which are teenagers now, is that they, my thing when, I, when they were really little is that they were going to listen to, I was not going to play any Disney music. They were going to listen to all my music, swear words and all. And they did. And they know lyrics to the most obscure punk songs and 80s songs, one-hit wonders and 90s songs. That makes them marvel, but they're into way different things than I am now. Like, my son is very much into hip-hop and rap, but we can share that experience because I was into hip-hop and rap back in, you know, Public Enemy and uh, NWA and all that stuff. I had all those albums, which I think kind of blows his mind. Like, yeah, I said, I bought that, like, the day it came out, like, that NWA album. I got that. And um, that I could know all these, all the lyrics of uh, Public Enemy albums and things that just blow his mind. But so we have we can share that. And he likes that stuff. and And my daughter's kind of all over the map, and she likes kind of Beyonce and some some hip hop and different artists, Lord, and things like that, which they're not not all that stuff's my favorite, but I'll listen to it, and she'll show me some artists and um I can bond with them over certain things. And then they discover other artists that I related to my background and mm-hmm. really like it. And so I think that, I don't think we're all going to have generationally the same touchstones, but I think that they will eventually come to them in different ways. And I still think parents can, and aunts and uncles and everybody else out there can kind of bond with, you know, kids th- musically through different things. So I think, you're, I think your theory holds up.
1: I laugh because how are the children of Generation X ever going to have that moment of like, you kids and your damn rock and roll? Because exactly as you said, I mean, we grew up, you know, well, hip hop was being perfected. Well... New Wave Punk, what mm-hmm. th- you know, name it. We were living it. I want to talk to you about something that I think is really exemplary about your career. And and I say this thinking about you as a Gen Xer too. You started in print journalism. You were one of the first bloggers who I ever followed when you, you were writing The Bastard Machine for the San Francisco Chronicle. You were a really early adopter of podcasting. And am I right in saying this is this year's your 10 year anniversary of TV Talk Machine?
0: Uh yeah, that is actually yeah. true, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's my one week anniversary, so thanks for making me feel really slow. And then in 2010, you moved from The Chronicle to a publication that has also undergone a real transformation, The Hollywood Reporter, and I know that at the time you moved over there Janice Min had just come on board to relaunch it as a weekly print mag and you know that publication's thriving. I, I I saw you last month when Janice was picking up a a, a leadership <laughs> award for her work at the Hollywood Reporter, and then for good measure, you're a senior adjunct professor at California College for the Arts. Tim, is it safe to say you like a good pivot? <laughs>
0: yes, I think that's. I think it's important to. to... To keep doing uh, different things, that and, and you know, I was slow to some. Th- I felt like I was slow to Twitter. I think I've been. I think I started Twitter in 2009, and I was probably slow to that. But once I realized, well, I think any writer will tell you that once the, you uh, you embrace the online content as the future, and that took a lot to happen for some people. That for writers, you don't. This you can you can just write anything at any time, um, and there is no space limit. And that's just how I mean, even though my stuff comes out in THR, and it's going to be in it's going to be in the magazine, not everything's in the magazine, because a lot of it it is online content. But I think that's just how the world for me, that's how the world works.
1: So But I do think it's a skill to say, okay, what's coming next? How do I position myself for this? And it seems to me that you've done that successfully. So how do you know? I mean, do you kind of get a sense? Okay, there's something out there I need to learn about? Have you ever had a, a time where you've pivoted and maybe it hasn't panned out? I just um, think people our age sometimes get nervous about making changes right now because they think I don't know if I've got time to see this through. I, you know, I don't want to let go of a good thing, but I also worry sometimes that stagnation becomes a habit.
0: I, I think I was there probably in 2010 because most of the particles that make up me are, are when you put them all together, they will take they will take risks. You know, I think taking risks and adapting to things are two different aspects of a personality and. So in 2010, when I left uh, the Chronicle to go to THR, that was big for me. So I, I mean, obviously, the first thing I told Janice was there's no way I'm leaving the Bay Area. I'm not going to live in L.A. But for me, it was I was worried about the future of print journalism, uh, newspapers in particular. And I could have just held on to that for a long time because I'd been at the Chronicle for 10 years. Um, I was writing anything I wanted, whenever I wanted. I was coming into work two times a week if I wanted. Um, No one told me what to write or not to write. It was pretty much a dream job. Uh, I was making good money. So there was a lot of things that were, there was a lot of reasons not to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was looking down the road and I thought, I'm not sure. You know, I I have to say, I still have friends who work at the Chronicle and and good friends. But I have to say that, you know, six and a half years, it's almost seven now, later, um, my anniversary will be coming up in about a half of a year, so I didn't think it was still going to be there. So part of the reason that I made that jump was not only did, I think, Janice's plan to reinvigorate the magazine into a, a weekly and long-form journalism and go all in, and she sold me a great plan where I could be a critic in, at a... An industry publication, but not be actively in the industry because what I do alienates people. I don't make friends in my That's job, right. and it doesn't do me any good to be at parties with people and trying to be friendly with people who I uh, cover and write about because I, I don't want them as friends. I have enough friends. I, I want to be right. a critic that keeps his distance. So it was perfect, and I, I did. It did take a little bit of an effort to make that decision, but I would say Nancy that in 2010, once I made that decision. Everything else was a little bit easier and and my passion project right now is to do to write about music and to write a book of essays but also instead of just having that available at a you know at some point in a bookstore where you can read it's like personal po- and positive driven not critical driven reviews and stories about music that there would be an online component so I'm starting something where you can actually technically read everything online but when I'm writing about a song, for example, you, you know, you and I are both huge fans of uh, of Jenny Lewis and Rilo Kiley. I could I could go back to a Rilo Kiley song, for example, and talk about one specific song or one specific set of lyrics. And then you, you could, while you're listening to, while you're reading it, you just press a button, of course, and you can hear the entire song. Or I could say, look at this set of lyrics that she wrote out, and then I could paste the lyrics in you could see it but you could also I could highlight just that segment of the song etc etc and like you get into deeper examples of music and you talk about the musicality of the actual song like it's an amazing use of strings here or this cello is amazing or these drums and you can highlight just that track and I'm starting to do a book project where there it's going to be an online component so that like I want to get somebody super fired up for music that they've never heard of and instead of having to like read it in a bookstore and then run home and make a note of what the album was and then go online and do it, you're going to read it online and I'm going to get you excited, I hope, for this band. Um, for example, the Pernice Brothers. I can get people super excited about one of my favorite bands, the Pernice Brothers. Pernice and
1: Brothers? Who are they?
0: They are. Yeah, exactly. So they're super fantastic. Probably my That's like my third favorite band of all time. And you can just press a button and you can hear the songs um, and then you might be hooked. So that's that's my current pivot. That's, that's the direction I'm going.
1: You know that if you look up target audience in the dictionary, my picture's sitting right there. You know this is the kind of book <laughs> that I would not only read in one sitting, but then I'll go out and tell everybody about it. So make sure you keep me in the loop. Building it all in and making it flow that way, I think it's a fantastic idea. So what is one piece of advice that you have for people younger than you or that you wish you could go back and tell yourself?
0: Wow. I think if going back to talk to a younger version of me, that would be that that's that's great. Cause you you look at your career and you wonder you talked about pivoting and changing and, and I think there's a lot of worry when you're in it. That's what that's what I would say. So there were there were times when I was in my career and I was like, this is it. I'm I've peaked. I'm nowhere near where I wanted to be. I'm stuck. And, you know, I had a I had like a seven year period where uh, I, w- I felt like I was stuck, and I was never going to make it anymore. So I would tell myself that you, you, you are going to make it, you are good enough, and you just need the opportunity, and it'll, it'll happen. And then, you know, going, going to your point, now that we know that there's so many more options in life that you can do, I would say, right on theme for you, I would say, don't be afraid to pivot. Like, don't be afraid to... To make a, a career decision or a creative decision, I think a creative is a better word than career, and, and do something different. I always tell my kids not to get so hung I mean, they will get hung up on what their careers will be. But I always tell them, hey, look, I know so many people who are lawyers and doctors, and they – You know, they went to school for 9, 10, 11, 12 years and all this this stuff. And then now they're making olive oil. So, like, make sure that you're happy in the decision you're going to make because you have to be happy first and then – you know, they always say, do what you love, and the money will follow. That's actually, as you know, well, no, that's not always true. Not true. (laughs) Um, uh, I work at an art school. So I know that that's not true. So but at the same time, you have to if you if you can make a career out of something that you love. And if you love it so much that you're not going to worry about the money, then you're going to be good. I was just lucky enough that I didn't make any money for a really, really long time. But I loved what I was doing. I got better at it. And then everything sort of coalesced together where I was able to give a chance to do something to show that I could do it and be good at it. And then the money eventually did follow. Not as much as I want, but it still it still followed.
1: Well, I don't think you can put a value on sitting in um, Elvis Costello's, basically sitting in the living room with him. I, mm-hmm. And I think you raise a great point when you're talking about talking to our kids about this, because I, I think that's something that we model for our kids. And I had a similar sort of transition where I worked in business for, you know, 17 years. And then I, around the age of 40, I was like, no, I'm a writer. That's what I do. And it was rough because I had plenty of work, but it was not, uh, you know, it wasn't paid at anything like what my old uh, business career paid. And at the end of the day, we live in an expensive area of the country and, you know, reality is reality. And it took me a while to sort of find the balance where I can do the writing and feel really good about that. But I also like the security of a job, and my family needs the, me to have the security of a job. And I never hid any of that from my kids. You know, they were not, they were not toddlers or anything, but that whole period where I was having this sort of um, challenge of finding the right balance, I kept them in the loop about it. And I sort of said, I would really like to be doing this, but this is how it's working now. And now that I've got a kid in college and another one finishing up high school. Um, I say, I say finishing up like I'm rushing her through. She has two yeah, years yeah. left. She's not She's allowed to leave more, yeah. before then. But I did want the girls to see me struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband's had a much more linear career, but they they know from parental job struggle just by watching me. And they know that it I got through it and conti- you know, continue to kind of adjust as I need to. So hopefully that's a lesson that that I taught them. And it's okay to not have things go exactly as you thought they would. Yeah, I
0: I think that, yeah, you have to tear up the roadmap, because, you know, they're so young now. And there is that sense, I mean, you have a 16 year old, there is that sense that there's so much pressure on them now to succeed. And um, they do, especially in the Bay Area, or New York, or maybe even Los Angeles, uh, areas that that are more expensive in the country, They'll they sense that that if they want to stay here and do that they need to do way better than we did because you can't get in and you know and it's so much real estate i think all this stuff is in their brain and uh, and, and they're way 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 overstressed so i always mm-hmm. tell them don't worry about the master plan because you're going to drive yourself crazy and you'll burn out. You'll never get to your destination if you're that stressed out. And, you know, I always say, look, when I had my 30th birthday, it was I think that was the most like depressed I think I had been <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God, like I'm 30. And every signpost I saw, I was like, what are you doing with your life? And, you know, it, it, it works out. And. And they think 30 is like, what? You were really lost. My God, you really took a couple of bad turns, Dad. So, you know, I think if you tell them that it's going to work out, that it it, it will. And the thing that I would say, just circling back to your original question, Nancy, the one thing that I would tell them, which I have, and I would have told my young self this, uh, travel more. That's literally the one thing I tell them. Go, Go travel before you get caught up in life and all of its challenges.
1: Tim, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great talking with you and uh, listen to the TV Machine podcast. You'll get all kinds of great tips for a TV to watch. And thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me, Nancy. It was great. It was fun to talk to you.
1: Uh, Have fun at Elvis Costello.
0: All right. Thank you. I know you
1: will. Clearly, Tim and I don't have trouble acknowledging the struggles in our creative and professional lives. And I'm curious to know if that's the kind of thing that you've shared with your kids, too, that you've talked about the hardships or obstacles that you've had to face with your kids and whether you think that was helpful to them. I guess I guess it's about figuring out where the line is between letting your children learn from your experience and mistakes and making them not worry too much about instability and thwarted plans. Like, I don't want my kids to think life is just a series of failed failed efforts either, but I do think that maybe it helps them see that, you know, things are just road bumps, not necessarily brick walls. What do I know? If I ever get this parenting thing right, I promise I'll let you know, and I would suggest right now, don't hold your breath. I also wanted to say that, you know, as I'm sure you could tell, Tim is really knowledgeable about music, so after we finished talking, we ended up staying on the phone for a little bit more to talk about concerts, and the topic of summer jams came up. What's the song that you're going to listen to all summer? You know, honestly, once The Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff released Summertime back in 1991, I haven't really ever needed a new summer jam, but Tim told me his, and it's Guan by Rostam. Guan is the song, Rostam is the singer. Now, Rostam is a solo artist who broke off from Vampire Weekend, so I'll tell you what, I got some mixed feelings about this. The song is fantastic. I'm going to put it up on the show notes so you guys can listen to it, but I really love Vampire Weekend, and When somebody talented breaks off from a band I like and starts a solo career, I'm always like, yay, good for you, but who knows, maybe he'll get back together with the band. You never know, but this song's really great. I'm also going to put the uh, video for summertime up because you know you need it. You know you love it. I asked over on the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page what you guys are listening to right now, and maybe it's a little early to call it a summer song, but... Donna mentioned that she's listening to a lot of Gorillaz and Rag and Bone Man. I love that guy's voice. Uh, Karen says we should check out the new song Adore by Amy Shark, which was lovely. I had not heard of it before. It's a really pretty song. Um, John is listening to Slow Dive's brand new album, and that is at least 20 years since the last one. So good to know from John that um, that's a good one. And then there's Murray, who's listening to Easy Beats. Dude, Easy Beats disbanded when I was three, so... Much respect for going that far back in the archives to find 2017's summer song. I love it. The one I'm really liking is Call the Police by L C D Sound System. There's something very new ordery about that song. If you guys have heard it, let me know if you agree. And also let me know what your summer song is of 2017. You're very organized if you have one. Good good on you. You can always email me at DJ at midlifemixtape.com. Or find me on the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page or on Twitter and Instagram at Midlife Mixtape. Let me know what you're listening to. And sure, I'm going to beg you one more time to leave a rating and review wherever you're tuning into the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. And I know one thing about the iTunes reviews, I know it's so frustrating. I've had it happen myself where I've left a review for another podcast and it doesn't show up for a couple hours or it doesn't show up at all. So for those of you who have tried, first of all, thank you so much. Don't don't, Don't knock yourselves out. That's really frustrating. I get it. It does seem to work better if you leave a review from your desktop rather than your phone, which is completely counterintuitive. But that is the only thing I know that seems to work. And I've checked on a couple of podcast forums and everybody has the same problem. So it's not you, but I do appreciate you guys for trying to do that. So thank you. So Join me next time when I talk with entrepreneur, blogger, co-founder, and all-around smart lady, Jory Desjardins, as we talk about how not to get intimidated by new technology. You guys, I think she's going to try to talk me into getting on Snapchat, and I'm not happy about it, but I think I might have to do that. And I think I'm going to go upstairs and eat some of the cookies my daughter made yesterday while while I think it over. Anyways, hope you guys have a terrific week, and I will talk to you again Next time, and thanks so much for listening. Take care. I don't want to be this, don't want to be that. Don't want to give, up, I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means. Whatever you want from me, i wanna be. Don't want to be this, don't want to be that. Don't want to give, up, I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means. Whatever you want from me, i wanna be. I want to be, I want to be free by whatever means.